Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Sunday School Hour here at Faith Baptist Church. Let's grab our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of 2 Kings and chapter number 5. 2 Kings 5, as I read through this week, I thought was a very interesting story. You know, the Bible's a pretty big book, right? So, having read through the Bible quite a few times, there are still some stories that just don't stay in there forever like you know you remember the story of Noah you remember the stories of Moses and you know the ones you hear about in Sunday school but there are some stories in here that even if you spent your whole life in church you've never heard before and a lot of Elisha's life that we're studying right now is some of that where a lot of Christians have just never heard these stories before we knew who Elijah was we had heard of Elisha but we didn't know a whole lot about his time in ministry. The Bible actually covers as much of his ministry as it does Elijah's. You just don't know much about it. And uh, this is another such example of that in 2 Kings 5. We see the story of a man named Naaman and his uh, desperate need for help. So let's jump into it in 2 Kings 5. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Uh, in that he you know, had the disease of leprosy. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria uh, said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Renting, uh, ripping or renting your clothes was a symbol of mourning or being upset. And uh, evidently the king was very distraught because he thought that the king wanted him personally to be the one that cured Naaman of his leprosy. And he was like, I have no ability to cure leprosy. I don't know how to do that. And uh, he thought he was looking for an excuse to start a war. And so Elisha sends word that there's no reason to rent your clothes. There's no reason to worry. He says, let him come now to me in verse 8, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. 
And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out uh, to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much more rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of of a little child and he was clean we might say down here in Texas he was smooth as a baby's bottom but we see number one this morning is the curing of leprosy the curing of leprosy and we see a few phrases that need explanation first of all verse 2 where it said uh, Syria had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid uh, Syria, not to be confused with Samaria, had begun raiding Israel and leading their people captive. It had been so long since Israel proper had had a king who did right in the sight of the Lord that they were beginning to deteriorate as a nation. Josh mentioned uh, when we had those handouts. You look on the side that had Israel, there's a whole lot of ease on Israel's side. It's nothing but ease on Israel's side. And the Judah side has a, a smattering of R's and E's on its side, uh, representing he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. So it had been so long since Israel proper had a, a rightful king, a, a decent king who did that which was right, that their spiritual and moral situation as a nation is beginning to deteriorate. It had been so long since somebody did the right thing in their leadership that they as a nation were beginning to slowly get further and further from the Lord. And as a result of that, God is beginning to send punishment their way, but also more than that, His protection is beginning to wane from them. It's beginning to come off of them. And that is because they are choosing to leave His protection. You see, it's, it's a bit like when you're at home and you've got a security system or you've got a weapon of some kind that protects you. You're safe so long as you're there. But if you leave that protection at home and you leave it behind and you go somewhere, then you're no longer protected. Right? And it's the same way with the Lord. We are in a, a place spiritually, right? Morally. We're in a specific place. And when we choose to stay where God is, then we have His protection and His blessing on our life. But when we choose to leave God's spiritual and moral place, then we no longer carry with us His protection. 
That's what's happening with Israel. They've lost the Lord's blessing and the Lord's protection on them as a nation. And just like Israel, the longer our heart remains distant from the Lord, the more it too begins to deteriorate. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter number 1, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. If you don't have that phrase marked in the book of Romans, I would encourage you to mark that phrase, reprobate mind. Because it's a Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. It's a very important phrase because it represents the backsliding Christian. It represents a state of mind we can slip into uh, on accident. You can have a reprobate mind without ever really meaning to have a reprobate mind. Little by little, we gradually make God less and less important, but gradually and slowly, almost to the point that you don't realize it, and we gradually make other things a little more important, a little more important, right? Till we reach this place of a reprobate mind. Well, what is a reprobate mind? Well, Paul goes on to explain in the book of Romans, it is to do those things which are not convenient. Well, what things are not convenient? Verse 29 says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Maliciousness is just doing something bad for for evil's sake, you know. Uh, some people call it an ornery streak, right? That's maliciousness. Full of envy. Murder. They say, I haven't murdered anybody today. Well, in the book of 1 John, the Bible says, He who hateth his brother without a cause is as guilty of that as though he were a murderer. Uh, find my place again real quick. Oh, there he goes. Debate. Now, this isn't healthy conversation and, and talking about important topics of the day or even uh, doctrinal or, or theological debate. This is just being argumentative. Right? It's just picking a fight for picking a fight's sake. Right? And it's the kind of fight, it's the kind of argument that is not beneficial to anybody. I enjoy talking to somebody I disagree with because I enjoy seeing if I can open my mind to new possibilities. Now, I always believe the Bible first and foremost over what anybody else says. But I do like the idea that my political views, you know, my uh, way of seeing things could be expanded and grown by talking to somebody who disagrees with me. As a matter of fact, I can grow my theology and my doctrine by talking to somebody who doesn't believe the way that I do. Because they're going to say something that makes a lot of sense to me and it's going to force me to go back and study why I believe what I believe. And it's why I have a reason for every doctrine that this church stands for. I don't just do it because that's what they handed me in Bible college. I have a reason for everything. Each one of those doctrinal statements on the church's website, there's a reason for each one of those points. And that's the way it should be. So debate that is unfruitful. That's what we're talking about here. Just somebody who's argumentative and just drags everybody down with it. Deceit, it talks about. Malignity. Whisperers. 
We know who this is. They're standing in a room full of people and they come to somebody and they start doing this and they're talking really quiet. Then you know somebody who's a little bit older and they whisper like this. Huh? Bill. Bill. Did you see what she's wearing this morning? I'm surprised her husband let her leave the house like that. Such a brazen hussy. Terrible whisperers. And I apologize to all the brazen hussies I offended. But the whisperers, the troublemakers, the people who want to be seen whispering in a crowd so that everybody feels like they're not in on their cool secrets. The house of the Lord is not a place for such things. Backbiters. Somebody who you can't say anything to, they're going to bite back at you. They're going to come back at you vicious and vengeful. Haters of God. Now you might imagine who could possibly hate God. But people get a bad idea of what God represents based on the people who claim to represent God. And they have signs that say God hates homosexuals. Things like that. That's not true. God doesn't hate anybody. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Every kid who's ever memorized one verse of Scripture can debunk the fact that God hates anyone. But he's misrepresented and people hate what they think God represents. You have haters of God. Despiteful. Proud. Boasters. Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding. Covenant breakers. we got to have contracts now that are 30, 40, 50 pages long. Because people are always breaking their covenants. A man's word is no longer good enough anymore. We've got to have every word termed just so, so a man can't wiggle his way out of a contract. And even then, if he does try to break the contract, we have to take him to court just to make sure that he learns his lesson or that we get our due. Because covenant breakers are rampant nowadays. There's no honor. You've got covenant breakers without natural affection. The phrase without natural affection is referring to homosexuality. Implacable. Unmerciful. Unmerciful means somebody did you wrong, now I'm going to do them worse. I'm going to do them so bad they'll wish they never messed with me ever again. That's unmerciful. We take our lumps, we move on. That's the way a Christian should be. You learn maybe not to stand so close to the person who gave you the lump, perhaps, but you don't look to pay back. You don't look to, to stay bitter and angry and scowl at them every time they walk in the room. We have mercy. Like the Lord had mercy toward us. If we want God to forgive us, we have to learn to forgive others. And then it goes on to say in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that's those of us, Christians that have studied the Bible and know what God believes, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. We know that too. They which commit sins are worthy of the second death. 
not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. This is where it's not okay to just watch whatever you want to on television. Right? It's not okay to just listen to whatever kind of music you want to listen to. If fornication is taking place on the television, you shouldn't be watching it. If uh, foul language is taking place, you shouldn't continue to listen to it. We should, as Christians, not only not do these things, but we should also not have pleasure in them that do these things as well. You ever heard that, that children's song we sing? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Why? For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's true for adults, too. We don't grow out of that. No matter how old and mature you are, you're still, you're still susceptible to the attacks of Satan. Those subtle little things we allow into our eye gate or our ear gate, as we call them with the kids, they can change us too. Slowly, right? The, uh, the reprobate mind. I'm doing a lot better on time than I thought. Look at me. <laughs> so we ought to be careful not only of what we, cons- of what we do, but of what we consume, entertainment-wise. And so if we allow our heart to deteriorate like Israel, we will be taken captive like they will as well. Not literally or physically, but spiritually, Satan will take us captive. He'll possess you. He'll own you. And the thing about it is, as we just read, you'll never even know it. You'll never even realize you belong to the devil. He's got you in his dungeon. He's got you chained down spiritually. And you wouldn't realize it because... He's got a nice television show in front of you in the dungeon while you're chained up. He's very, very good at distractions. The devil would be a fantastic magician. You know why? He's perfected the sleight of hand. Sleight of hand is where a magician has you looking over here, right? He's moving the the big red handkerchief while the trick is taking place in this hand over here. Right? So he's doing the thing, and it's happening over here, and it goes in this sleeve and goes through and goes out that sleeve, and voila, there it is. Slide of hand. That's what the devil does with us. He's got us looking over here. Hey, look at this cool, fun, entertaining thing while all along the captivity's taking place over here, and you don't realize it. That's what happened to Israel. That's why they deteriorated and they were taken captive. We ought to be cautious because the devil uses the same tricks on us that he did on him, on Israel. So we see why there's a little maid there. The history behind what's taken place because they're beginning to take them captive. And while she's in her captivity, verses 3 and 4, she tells her mistress of a man in Samaria, which is a part of Israel, where... Naaman could go to be healed. She's, you may almost imagine her cleaning up. Maybe she's dusting something off or she's cleaning out some dishes or she's you know, picking up some trash or something. And while she's busy about the house and her, her mistress is sitting there enjoying her breakfast and she's taking care of things and she maybe mentions in passing, you know, if we were in Samaria, Naaman could go see the prophet 
and the prophet could take it care of. I sure wish we were in Samaria for my, for my master Naaman. And word of that begins to spread. Right? But this maid gave Naaman hope. That's what she did. She didn't... She wasn't out trying to give him hope, was she? She was just mentioning something in passing in conversation. That's the way the context reads. That she was just mentioning something about her native land, about this prophet that evidently she held in high regard. But... Incidentally, in talking about these things, it gave Naaman hope. Hope to be cured of his terrible disease. She told of a man from the land of Israel that had the power to heal. That is an incredible power. I'm not impressed with those who have the power to take life. I'm impressed by those who have the power to give life back. Amen. That's an impressive ability to me. But who among us hasn't also felt the healing power of the Lord? And that might be physically, or it might be emotionally. It might even be spiritually. You feel the healing power of God in your life. There's been a terrible disease spreading in our world worse than coronavirus. And for longer. And it's sin. It's a disease that's almost unnoticeable. Those are the worst kinds of diseases, are the kinds you almost can't tell you have until it's too late. That makes it all the more deadly. And its symptoms last for an eternity. But just like this little maid, we too know a man that can cure us of our deadly sin disease. He would recover him of his leprosy. And all we need do is mention in passing to somebody, oh, if only you knew my friend Jesus. If you know about Jesus, He could cure you of your sin. You've got symptoms you don't even realize you have. And in talking about, sometimes we don't even have to be out actively trying to soul win and witness and lead somebody to the Lord. We should be doing those things. We should be talking to people about salvation. We shouldn't be politely standing aside trying not to offend somebody on their way to hell. We should be getting in their way. I don't want to be the reason somebody steps off into eternity without the Lord. But sometimes we can do something as simple as just talk about something that happened at church on Sunday. You know, we can just talk about you know, make a, a mention something as simple as, you mind if I pray, pray for you about that? You know, I'm going to write that down and in my morning prayers I'll pray for you. Just something as simple as that. Those things which we don't think anything about, that's a common phrase we hear all the time, don't we? I'll pray for you. We hear that all the time, don't we? You know, we might mention, oh yeah, Sunday at church the pastor was shooting nerf darts at people, whatever, da da da. You don't realize you know, oh, I need to share the, the Wednesday night Bible study. I forgot to do that. You mentioned that to some just in passing. And you don't realize these things that are, you know, insignificant, not insignificant, but inconsequential to us can give somebody great hope. An incredible hope that they need. They might stumble upon salvation, you know, and looking at the thing they heard you talking about in passing. Jesus will cure them of their sin disease. 
But then we, we read the story, right? He goes, he finds Elisha, he talks to Elisha, and he comes with an entourage, right? He comes with all of these animals and all of these chariots, all of these horses. And he's got this whole, because he's a very wealthy, prominent man in Syria. And so he comes along probably all decked out in his, you know, best outfit. He's got all these chariots are loaded down with gold and changes of clothing and everything. And he comes down to Elijah. Very important man being used to being treated like a very important person. Never get used to being treated like an important person. I give you that bit of advice. You'd be much better off keeping your humility. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And Naaman comes up, an important man, and he talks to Elisha, and Elisha says, go down to the river, wash yourself seven times, and you'll be fine. And he's offended. I traveled all the way down here, loaded down all these gifts out of appreciation, and he couldn't even give me the time to stand up and pray over me. He couldn't even be bothered to call upon the name of his God, just go to the river and wash. There's rivers at home I could have washed in. And he gets upset, doesn't he? Naaman thought that Elisha was either a fool or trying to deceive him. He couldn't understand how washing in that particular river could cure a man of his leprosy. He couldn't understand it. He was angry about it, but he did it. Right? He did it. And that's the important part. What would you rather have? An employee who tells you, no, he's not going to do it, and then does it anyways, or an employee who tells you he's going to do something and then doesn't do it? You'd rather the one that got the job done, right? Even if he said, I don't think I can do that, boss. And then you go to your office, you come back, and the job's done. He says, hey, come find out I could do it. Or the man, you walk in, you say, I need you to get this done. He says, okay, yeah, I'll take care of that. At the end of the day, it's still not done. You'd rather the first one, right? That's what Naaman was. He was mad, he's upset, he didn't understand it, he was confused, he was scared for himself. But he went and did what he was told. There are going to be times in our life where we don't understand why we're meant to go through certain things. Or why God wants us to do certain things. Or that we just don't understand His doctrine. His truth. But just because we can't understand it doesn't mean we can't be obedient to it. There's been, I can't tell you how many people that have told me, I just don't understand why God would want me to tithe my 10% when I can't afford to tithe. The answer is faith. Because if you will be faithful to God, He will be faithful back. I promise you, I've seen it in my own life more times than I can count. Where we get paid and we pay all our bills, something unexpected happens, you lose a tire, you know, something goes out, you've got to replace, there's a problem with the air conditioner, right when summer starts to hit, you know, you've got issues, you've got to take care of, you've got to take care of them now, you take care of that, you say, I can't really afford to tithe. If you do it anyways, He will take care of you. 
there have been several months I've looked after we tithe and I looked at the end of the week and there's too much month left at the end of the money and somehow it all gets taken care of plenty of gas in the car plenty of food on the table all the bills are paid and everybody's fine how is that? through the power of faith faith will get you through because the Lord will get you through Naaman chose to show faith and it paid off for him there will be times where the things that we believe in don't make much sense to us either but that is where faith comes in because you see seeing isn't believing believing is seeing so many times we think faith is clinging to something in the dark and hoping that it's what you need but you see what faith is in truth is faith turns the lights on once you choose to have faith only then can you see clearly that that which you've chosen to have faith in so long as it's the Lord was the right thing so Naaman was wroth and went away but then he came back and he obeyed the Lord then we see number two this morning in verse 15 And he returned to the man of God, and he and all his company came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then I pray thee be given to thy servant two mules of burden of the earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, then I bow, uh, when I bow down myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. For so he departed from him a little way. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman in this Syrian in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running, uh, running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them of their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? <laughs> and he said, Thy servant went no whither. Nowhere. 
And he said unto him, Went not my heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. So we see secondly this morning is giving leprosy. Verse 15 and 16, Naaman says, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Then now therefore I pray thee take a blessing of thy servant. Naaman was so filled to the brim. Ever seen a cup filled to the brim? Yeah, you go to fill a cup up and you get it just right to the top. When I get a cup and I pour Dr. Pepper into it, and it starts to foam up. I, when you do that enough, you can figure out how to get it to where the liquid is just at the brim and the bubbles are over the top, right? But nothing spills over, right? So that is kind of the picture here. That, that Dr. Pepper starts to rise up, the foam gets higher than the cup, everybody else standing around you gets a little nervous, the bubbles stop, everything goes down and it's right at the brim. That cup can literally contain no more Dr. Pepper. It is at its max. It is full. Naaman was so full to the brim with appreciation and gladness that he felt a need to express that somehow. He was so grateful and so happy and so excited and so relieved. The burden came off of his back and he felt a need to express it. Let me give you something. I've got all this stuff here in these chariots. Let me give you something. And Elisha says, no, we're not going to take anything. You ever notice that that's what God's men do? They go and they be a blessing to somebody or they help somebody out. And that person is so appreciative, they want to give them something as a reward for what they did and the good works. And every time God's man, whether it's Abraham or whether it's Elijah, whether it's Elisha, they always say, no, I'm not taking anything from you. And that's exactly what Elisha did here, but he was so full, he wanted to just, to just show the Lord his appreciation. And yet Elisha refused the gift of Naaman, not because Naaman was an idolater, for he was an idolater no longer, but because it was necessary that Naaman learn to express his gratitude to the Lord instead of to Elisha. Right? You don't show your appreciation to the Lord by doing something kind for me because I'm the pastor or I'm the preacher. That's how you show your appreciation to me. You want to show your appreciation to the Lord, you do something for the house of God, which is the church, or you do something in labor to the Lord. You work for the Lord. You, you hand out a gospel track. You volunteer your time to teach the kids in the church. or You, you do something for somebody else. You give your, your money not to the pastor, but maybe to uh, uh, the poor, like Jesus so often told his disciples to do. Give of yourself. Do something of yourself for the Lord. There's too many preachers and pastors out there, especially TV evangelists, that want you to believe that it, what you need to do in order to show God how much He means to you is give them your money. 
Right, let me make one thing very clear here. Giving to Faith Baptist Church is not giving to me. What I get from this church is a very small, on purpose, set amount. It doesn't change depending on who gives and how much. Right? So, when you give to this church, you're not giving to me. You're giving to the church and you're giving to the Lord. So that is different. But there are too many preachers out there looking to be a success in their business, right? And uh, TV preachers, but also pastors of large churches around here, right? They want the business to succeed so they'll succeed. But here Elisha teaches that it's not about the money. The blessing was for the Lord, not for him, and he refused to take it. To give all these things to Elisha is not the same as to give them to the Lord. The tokens of appreciation that God receives are not physical things, but actions, our obedience, kindness, our worship, and our love are the things that He desires to receive from us. Then we see Naaman asks a kind of a moral question, doesn't he? Verses 18 and 19, he says, In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant. And what he's talking about is there's a, a place of worship in Syria uh, for an idol, for a false god. right? And his master, who is, of course, the king of Syria, goes in there every so often to worship and asks that his servant, Naaman, come with him. Right now, this is Naaman's master. You, you're not allowed to say no to your master. And so he asks Elijah that the Lord would forgive him if when he goes in there, he sort of bows his head in a reverential way. In Naaman's heart, he's not bowing to this God. He's bowing his head to show respect to his master. And what Elisha tells him is to go in peace. In other words, yes, you are forgiven for this. Because God is not so much interested in the action so much as He is the intentions behind the action. He's interested in the heart. Right? Nahum is going there because that's what his master has asked him to do. The Lord knows all about wanting to obey your master. Right? The Lord wants us to obey Him. But if Naaman's heart is solely toward the Lord like it is now, like the Bible tells us it is, then of course that's forgiven. Because our actions are not all about the pure letter of the law. It's about the heart behind what we do. Right? And he's forgiven. It's a token of appreciation that God receives. They're not, or, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. Naaman, like many others, found out that it was God was interested in his heart. And so, as long as the Lord's possession of that never wavered, then he could go in peace. Right? Then we see Gehazi have a sort of little evil thought creep into his head, right? <clears throat> he says, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Now, Gehazi's thought here was, here's this idolater never worshipped God a day in his life and was so hoity-toity about it that he was going to walk off because he was too good for the Jordan River. And yet he's got all of this stuff. Here I am, a loyal servant to God. 
And I don't barely have a scrap of money in my pocket. I've got a single change of clothes and I just have enough to get by each day. Why shouldn't I thrive? Why shouldn't I be successful? Why shouldn't I have all these changes of garments and these coins in my pocket? So he goes after Naaman. And he lies to Naaman. And he says, oh, oh, uh, we had a couple of unexpected house guests come by. They need some changes of clothes and some money for food. So Elisha changed his mind. And he lied. And we've talked about lying before. This is one of those examples where it's a sin. Because it's selfish. And so Naaman gives and offers him more than what he asked for. And Gehazi takes it. But it's interesting to me because we, it's a contrast here, right? You're seeing two things when you compare them side by side. There's a stark contrast one from the other. Because we see Naaman, uh, with Naaman we see that Gehazi does something that seems morally neutral but is actually motivated by greed and selfishness. Which is in contrast to Naaman because Naaman was a, Syri was a Syrian and a, formal, a former idol worshiper while Gehazi was an Israelite and only ever worshipped the Lord but it was the former that obeyed God. The Syrian and the idol worshiper was the one that obeyed the Lord and the Israelite and the faithful servant to the prophet was the one that disobeyed God. And how backwards that seems... But in truth, isn't that the way it always goes? So many times, faithful Christians who spend their life in church, they're the ones that get fed up with doing the right thing all the time and never getting rewarded for it. Why should these people that live in sin receive all these good things while I'm always doing the right thing and I pay the price for it? That's the thought that creeps into your head after a while. And after a while, we, the ones who know better, wind up being the ones that disobey God while they may repent and get right with the Lord. It's backwards. But then we see what happens. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave to thee. The leprosy of Naaman became a constant and painful and disgusting reminder of just how hideous sin is. You see, we're okay with it. We're okay with the hideousness and disgustingness of our sin. So long as we can't see it. So long as we can't smell it. So long as we can't hear it. If we can ignore it, then it's fine. There's coming a day you won't be able to ignore it. There's going to come a day where we stand before the Lord. And He's going to be sitting upon a throne. And the Bible says all your works will be made manifest. Every single action you've taken in your time of life will be manifested into one of two things. It'll become something that endures or something that burns up quickly. Wood, hay, and stubble or crowns, precious gems infused into those crowns. And the more crowns you earn, the more you did for the Lord, but the more you did for yourself, the more you did nothing, the more wood and hay and stubble you build up. And I promise you, of all the accomplishments you've ever done in your entire life, in that moment, 
in eternity, you are going to want, you are going to wish you'd have done more. These are the moments right here in life. This is where we set up for ourselves the things that wait for us in heaven. Will we set up crowns and gems and jewels or are we going to just waste our life with wood and hay and stubble? We may not break out into sores and lose our nose like some lepers do. But when we corrupt our heart with selfishness and greed, we lose something far greater. We lose our faith. And you're going to need that when times get tough. So we see Naaman is cured of his leprosy and then Gehazi is given it. Given a choice this morning. Which one of these two men do we want to be? Do we want to be Gehazi or do we want to be like Naaman? Right on time. <laughs> we will be back in 15 minutes for the morning service at 11 o'clock. Bye.